this word. Thank you for this great beginning that we see for Paul and the mission that you entrusted to him. Thank you for the boldness that is herein reflected. And as we reflect on it today, as your people, we pray that you would speak to us from this same word today, both filling us with thanksgiving for what you did then and filling us with challenge for what you want to do in our lives and through us. And we pray this in the name of this Savior for whom Paul was persecuted and whom he proclaimed, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Paul was a man with purpose. He was a man with a mission. And he was a man who, after the beginning of Acts chapter 9, became absorbed by the love of God in Christ Jesus, his Lord. And as a result, Paul became this man who, instead of being feared only, had a joyous and infectious zeal for God that spread to the people who were all around him. Now, let me say something right at this point in the sermon that I think is important just for us to say, although it's incredibly obvious. You are not Paul. And even I, as pastor, I am not Paul. Therefore, we do not have exactly the same call that the Apostle Paul had and that is shown to us in this passage. We don't have the call to be an apostle and to testify before Israel and before the Gentiles and before kings. That said, that said, we're not Paul. We're not called to be Paul. But we are, as Paul says himself in his letters, called to imitate him. And like Paul, we have been called out of darkness and into a marvelous light. And we are to declare the excellencies of the one who called us. So that broad call, it's from Peter, as it is applied to all of the people of God, belongs to us. It belongs to you and me. Paul has his particular manifestation of it, but like him, you and I have been fitted, we have been equipped, we have been placed within the spheres, within the church, within the neighborhoods and the workplaces for the purpose of serving and loving and speaking within the broad range of the things that you in this room represent and which you do. And therefore, you, like Paul, you have a purpose. You have a mission. Paul was a chosen instrument. That's what I titled the sermon, a chosen instrument. And actually, I, I took that title from verse 15. It was actually from last week. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Paul was a chosen instrument. He was a particularly chosen piece of pottery. He was, a, he, he was a, the, the kitchen utensil that the cook had looked for and picked out that particular utensil to do that particular job. I think I shared this a little while ago, uh, but this past summer, uh, Nate and I were helping a, a contractor, actually a neighbor, who was digging a ditch in our yard. His name is Neil. 
and he was digging a ditch in our yard so that he could bury some electric cables down in the yard. And he had a whole variety of tools that were available for use for Nate and me. We don't know much about electricity, but we can dig a ditch. And so we had these tools. And one of them was a really nice tool. And before Neil himself got involved and Nate and I were out there, one of us had this tool for ditch digging. And when Neil came out, he said, I, I need to have that one. He said, that's mine. You can have any of these other tools, any of these other instruments, but that one is mine. Why? Because it had the sharpest blade, the exact right angle, the right width, the right bend to it, a super strong handle, and a great grip by which he could get hold of it and do excellent ditch digging. When Neil was around, Nate and I were not to touch that particular, that chosen instrument. Now, we may be tempted to think that God chooses his instruments in exactly the same way. For example, that God looked at a man like Paul and said, boy, the character of that guy, the zeal that he has, the, the education that he has, the speaking abilities that he has, that's exactly the guy I want to do the mission that I have for him. He's perfect. But if we did that, we would be backwards reading. We would be people who are looking at the success of the mission of Paul and trying to find human reasons to explain that, things to which we can attribute it and say, this is why God chose that guy. In fact, what Paul is convinced of throughout his life, and he makes this perfectly clear in all of his writings, what Paul is convinced of and what Luke is convinced of and what these churches, these disciples that Paul went and visited were convinced of is that he is exactly the wrong choice that he's not the most likely tool, that he's not the best instrument in the toolbox to choose for a particular task, that instead he's the one you don't want. He's the one with the dull blade, with the crooked handle, that's not going to be effective in doing the job. Paul looks at himself and considers himself to be a jar of clay, likely to break, weak, and in fact, that for him is the basis through which he can boast in this choosing of God, namely that God chose something, someone, as weak as he is and did something glorious through it. And in that way, for Paul, it confirms the fact that he's a chosen instrument because it gives glory to Jesus Christ who builds the church and not to Paul who does that. So keep that in mind as we think here about Paul, as we see the amazing thing that God does through Paul, lest we be too quick to give credit to Paul or conversely too quick to say, well, I'm not Paul, I can never be used by God in such a way. Now, let me break down some things then here about Paul's approach to his mission that I think are immediately applicable for us today. Uh, and if you're one who likes to keep track of these things or to remember them, all of the things I'm going to say today, the three of them all begin with the letter E. First of all, Paul engaged. How many plans and purposes of ours are thwarted by inertia. 
We have ideas. We have plans. Whatever my brother Joe is sitting out here, I got to talk. Joe and I come up with endless plans for our gardens. How many of them are thwarted by the fact that we just don't get started on doing those things? Paul began immediately. Verse 20. He began immediately to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. How many plans do you have? I know I've got a lot that haven't gotten started, that are just ideas that are out there. Uh, there's a, a pastor, I think he's now in Columbia, South Carolina, Derek Thomas is his name. Derek has done a lot of writing, and he has written a commentary on the book of Acts. And for this particular chapter, he opens up the commentary on this section that we're looking at today by telling a story about himself, namely sort of his conversion story, but he became a believer, was converted in uh, college during the summer, apparently. And when the semester restarted, he was studying mathematics at the University of Wales, and one of his professors in the middle of class uh, that first day or whatever, first week back into classes, said, in effect, Mr. Thomas, I understand that you have become a Christian. Tell us about it. And, of course, that puts you right on the spot. And afterwards, uh, Derek Thomas went up to the professor, and the professor said to him that it is important for we Christians to nail our colors to the mast as soon as possible. And Thomas, Derek Thomas, was always grateful for that call that the professor had given to him. To nail the colors to the mast, that's a nautical expression, relates to uh, sailing ships, particular, particularly around the Napoleonic period. So uh, you would run colors up and down the mast, and you would communicate many things by those colors. But one of the things that you would communicate is, of course, what country you represented. Now, it was an appropriate ruse. It was not considered wrong. You could run up false colors. So you could be an English ship and fly the tricolors, and if your enemy bought it and thought you were a friend, that was their own fault. So that was perfectly acceptable to do. You could run up those colors, and then as soon as you engaged in the battle, you fired your first shots, you brought down that tricolor and sent up your colors. So you sent up your British colors. Uh, as, the, as the case may be. When you nailed your colors to the mast, that was something different. Nailing your colors to the mast was an expression to say, instead of putting the flags on their normal ropes and pulley system that could come down, you actually hammered them into the mast. And it was a way to say that come what may, this is who we are. We're British, we're French, we're Spanish, we're Dutch. We're whatever we are, and we're going to be that way until the end of this battle. To take the colors down in the midst of the battle was to surrender. To nail them to the mast was to say, I'm not surrendering. It's good for us Christians to nail our colors to the mast early. Paul nailed his colors to the mast quickly. It gave him no retreat. It gave him no out. He was baptized. 
and he identified himself with the very one whom he persecuted, with the very name that he sought to overthrow, and then with the people as well who were there in Damascus. We like to keep our options open. The less we are committed to something, the more we are able to keep our options open and not fully identify with a cause, with a person. But Paul, twice repeated, as Barnabas recounts it, and then as Paul continues in Jerusalem, boldly, boldly identified himself as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and committed to the charge that he had. The people around him, albeit with Paul's colors nailed to the mast, were skeptical. And you and I would be skeptical as well if somebody like that came into our midst saying, I'm now a believer. And they were unsure about him, but Paul engaged. He was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was not a secret Christian. And I think that gives some questions to us. And the first question is obvious. Are your colors flying? Now, I'm not saying with that, do you have a Christian bumper sticker on the back of your car? I'm not asking with that, do you wear a Christian t-shirt? What I'm asking is, do the people in your life, the neighbors, the people at your work, do they know that you are a Christian because you boldly and regularly talk about it? Your, your calling isn't to be Paul, but it is to nail your colors to the mast so that people know. And related to it, are you engaged? Are you engaged in the mission that God has given to you? Within that sphere, within the particular place where you are, whether you be a student or at work or training or whatever it is that you're doing, God has given to us callings. And in another sermon, we could talk about the particular vocational callings that God has given to each of us. But in particular, He's gifted you for service within the kingdom of God. He's called you within whatever calling you have to be able to speak whatever sphere of life, to be able to talk about the good news, to serve others. Are you engaged in that mission? Secondly, we see that Paul embraced. He embraced his Lord. He embraced the message, the calling. He explained it. He was empowered by it. Paul didn't merely serve Jesus. He wasn't merely employed by Jesus to do a particular task that he'd been commanded to do. Instead, and this is to bring 2 Corinthians into this passage, Paul found himself constrained and compelled by the love of Christ. He didn't only embrace the mission but he embraced, or if you would prefer to say it this way, he received the embrace of the Lord. And so Paul is not merely, when we think of him, a man who is zealous for a cause. 
That's easy for us to, to think about Paul in that way. What we see in Paul is a man in love. And there's a big difference between those two things. A man who just has a cause and a man in love. Paul is in love with Christ and then with making him known. We get a hint of that in this passage in the opening words that Paul or that Luke records Paul speaking in the synagogue saying and and convincing and proving that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, for a Jew and for a Jewish teacher like Paul to be talking to other Jews and telling them that Jesus is the Son of God is a very clear way of saying that this one who has come, this man who was crucified, to him belongs messianic kingship. So Paul, speaking of Jesus as the Son of God, can say, listen, this is fulfilling Scripture, and thus prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. But this phrase, Jesus is the Son of God, we might think, well, that's common. We hear that all the time, Jesus is the Son of God. But in fact, Luke kind of reserves that in all of Acts for this particular section to describe the way Paul communicates. Jesus is the Son of God. And so as much as it is an official declaration of the messianic kingship of Jesus, to affirm, to say that Jesus is the Son of God is also obviously familial. For Paul, it was the sonship of Jesus, the fact that he was the son of his heavenly father that then becomes for him the bedrock of all of his theology of being adopted into the family of God. And it is Paul, perhaps more than any other, who takes this this theology of our adoption and owns it so personally and proclaims it so clearly to the people of God that we might know that we are not merely slaves serving a master, doing his bidding, and that which we have been told, but instead we are the very children of God. And thus, in terms of priority, Paul's mission doesn't flow from command, but it flows from relationship. Now, within that relationship, there was a command that Paul heeded. So don't nail your flag to the mast. Don't tell someone about the faith. Don't do that because you have to. Don't do that because somebody, whether the Word of God or a pastor, says that you have to do that. Don't do it for those reasons. Do it because God has nailed his colors to the mast over your head, and his banner over you is love. And he's nailed it not to the mast, but he's nailed it to the cross. That is the motivation that we have to speak of the good word, and then we can hear within that the command to do exactly that. In practice, in practice, okay, that's, the, that's, I think, the logical priority that is here. In practice, what I think that Paul finds and what I think that we find as we walk this Christian life is that as we become engaged in ministry and as we receive whatever suffering comes to us, whatever sacrifice we have to make as a result of being engaged in ministry, then this contributes to a more affectionate embrace. 
from our brother, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. As he was proclaiming, he increased in the strength. The embrace becomes sweeter as we serve. So I think, again, there are questions that are here for us. If you find yourself rarely talking about Jesus, if you find yourself rarely engaged in service to the people of God, in caring for and loving the people who are around you, the problem just might not be that you don't have enough time. It might not be that you don't have enough training. It might not be that you're just too busy or that you don't have opportunities. The problem might be that you've lost your first love that you've lost the embracing aspect of this, that your heart has grown cold. And conversely and thankfully, engaging in mission, engaging in service may be just the thing that helps to contribute to you being strengthened in that faith. Now, let me say something personal here with this. Some of you are huggers, embracers, and some of you are not. So it's interesting pastorally to try and figure that out. Who, uh, who wants to be greeted with kind of, hi, how you doing out there? Good to see you. Who would like to be embraced and who would like a formal handshake? You gotta, you gotta, I gotta process through every single one of you and try and understand, okay, what's the right way? What does this person want? And who of all of you, like there's three of you who want the holy kiss? Uh, which, which ones does that belong to? Okay, there are, there are 500 reasons why you might not be a hugger. Okay, I know, and they're complex. And I don't want to go into all of them. I don't even want to imagine what all of them are. Fair enough. But be careful. Be careful of formality in your faith. When Joseph and his brothers got together and Joseph revealed himself to him, there was hugging and there was weeping that was going on. And when that prodigal returned home, and the father went running out to meet him, there was hugging and there was weeping and there was embracing that went on. So Paul is engaged. Paul embraced and finally Paul, and this is perhaps the one that is most evident from the passage before us today, but it's going to be true of his entire life. Paul endured. Paul persisted for the sake of this Lord and this mission that the Lord had given to him. Remember that just earlier in this chapter, the Lord said to Ananias of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now that's a call and a half to get that one. Now that belonged to Paul in particular in a special way. It was his. He had to suffer for the sake of the name. But insofar as you and I identify ourselves with Christ, that then belongs to us as well. The call to suffer for the sake of the name. It may not be exactly what Paul was called to suffer, but it is nevertheless there for all of us as we are shaped into Jesus. And even in this initial description of his ministry, and it's only going to be confirmed throughout the book of Acts, Paul is willing to be misunderstood. He's willing to be counted a fool. He's willing to face danger. And he is willing to look ridiculous for the sake 
of the gospel. Paul was lowered over the city wall out of a window in a basket. This was one of the first sermons that I preached first in this church when Paul recounts this story in 2 Corinthians 11. It is impossible to look good, to look in control, to look cool, to look confident, to look courageous, or bold, competent, and dignified when you're being lowered over the wall in a basket. You just look ridiculous. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, when he's reflecting on this exact same incident, laughs at himself, at the absurdity of the picture. And he recalls it, and he plays this little game in 2 Corinthians 11 of, of false boasting with so-called super-apostles. And he says, yeah, this is me. I'm the kind of guy who was lowered over the wall in a basket. But Paul changes the game. He turns the tables, and he says, actually, it is in this very display of personal weakness that I am qualified to serve this king and this message. message. Because thou who is rich beyond all splendor for our sakes became poor. The one who had dignity beyond all measure for our sakes became undignified. And there is nothing more undignified than the death of the cross for the Son of Man to be there. And Paul says, I'm willing to be made and look like a fool for the sake of this one. Paul endured and he persevered in his mission. And it forces me to ask that question of myself, to say, what am I willing to endure? And am I willing to persist? Getting started in things is one thing, but am I willing to persist in the mission that God has given to me? And it makes me ask the same question to you. For the place that you've been fitted, for the role that you've been fitted to fill, are you willing to persist? And are you willing to endure in that calling? Paul was the least likely instrument for this mission. He was the tool he would have left behind. And yet he was chosen and he was blessed. And God has chosen you. You are a chosen instrument. You are not called to be Paul, but you have been granted a mission, a purpose, a calling. You have been gifted by God for service to the kingdom of God within the household of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Whether that be in a small place, whether that be in a large place, the hymn that we started the service singing today was, O Zion, haste. Your mission, high fulfilling, to publish glad tidings. So in this new year, I would exhort us, not you, us,
to engage in the ministry that God has entrusted to us, to embrace the Lord who has called us, and to endure and to persist in the things that he has called us to do for the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.